Welcome to episode eight of the Legends Podcast. I am one half of the Legends Podcast, Ari Levy, along with my co-host, Sam Manheimer. The date is January 10th, 2021, and we're not off to a good start. Yeah, that's right, Ari. And just to correct you real quick, the date's not the January 10th. It's December 41st of 2020, because it sure damn feels like we're still in 2020. Yeah, not much has changed. In fact, it may have gotten worse. Uh, Coronavirus is still raging across the United States. About 4,000 people passed away the other day because of the virus. Uh, Hospitals and ICUs are at full capacity, stressing our our frontline workers. January 6th was a day that will live in infamy. Um, A bunch of armed right-wing Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. It was definitely a dark day in American history, one that I hope we never forget. Not to get political, we're not a political podcast, but I think that riot was a culmination of a lot of conspiracy theories and other disinformation that was allowed to fester in the public eye for far too long. And I think going forward, we got to be more forceful in denying that kind of stuff and not letting it play into a mainstream media network, I guess, would be the way that I would put it. But I mean, that's what happens when you when you let disinformation fly in the, the face of facts. Also... I'm not trying to rag on them, but the Capitol Police kind of just gave up. Yeah. And I mean, let's make a distinction between the Capitol Police officers and I guess the decision making process that led up to it, because there was a Capitol Police officer that did die. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very sad. And I, I do feel for the men and women who were trying to protect the Capitol. But yeah, there was definitely some massive failures in planning to stop that group from from getting into the Capitol building and. Yeah, just, I mean, it got way out of hand real quick. And I, I hope that there is an investigation into how that transpired because it never should have happened. Yeah, some positives to come out of it, though. The amount, the internet memes have been great. Sometimes, you know, when, when things are shitty, which you could say right now they are shitty, the only thing you could really do is like meme stuff and, and, try, and try and laugh. And I've been, I've been very amused by some of the memes. Um, yeah. Also, the next day, the stock market absolutely roared, which which was good for me and some of my other friends. So 2020 definitely produced a lot of good memes and the stock market did pretty well after it initially didn't do all that great in March. So yeah, 2021 definitely has a lot of that same feel to it. I saw a tweet earlier today. I think it was a uh, XY graph with the, the Y axis or the one going up and it was the quality of memes and the X axis was how shitty things are and it was just going up so <laughs> the, the worse things get the better the memes are and it's good that we're able to take some solace and in funny internet pictures yeah and I, I know some of you guys saw that uh the guy who was dressed in like the i think it was like a bear hat or i don't even know what to call it but he, they they call him the he's the one with the face paint and the, the animal over his head and they call him the QAnon shaman which is quite the name and uh He's been the center for a lot of the memes, and he will be mean for a long time. He's also going to go to prison. Yeah, and they just arrested the guy who stole Pelosi's podium. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, life comes out too fast, but like, it just doesn't seem like a good idea to a not wear a mask at all in 2021 because in case people didn't know there is a virus going around, but B, if you're going to mount an armed insurrection of the U.S. government, one would think that wearing a mask would also be beneficial there as well, because we're able to identify all these people. Like they just walked around maskless in what supposedly is the most heavily guarded place in the country. 
you're going to get caught. I did find it a little funny about the guy, the guy who had his feet up on Pelosi's desk when asked about it. He said, well, I know she wasn't using it. Uh, he's now arrested and in jail and facing like a bunch of different, like three or four different felonies. But I, I thought that was a little, a little, a little humor. So I think speaking of humor coming out of maybe things that aren't so great, Ari and I both are partly saddened that we're no longer going to be blessed with Donald Trump on Twitter. And I think also both very happy that we're, we're going to be rid of him going forward. Yeah. Listen, Trump was sharing misinformation and it's very, very dangerous to our democracy. So I will say, yes, he deserved to get kicked off Twitter, but he had some amazing content in there that uh, will go down in infamy. And I, and I wish that Twitter just... It's hard to say because there was a lot of misinformation, but like froze his account and let us collect some of the really good tweets. But a lot of them are connected, collected, and we're going we're gonna to share some with you. A, a Twitter going out of business sale on the Trump Twitter account would have been nice. Just just give me like an eight hour heads up and I can go scroll through and screenshot everything. But thankfully, yeah, some good Samaritans out there did archive all of his tweets. And thank God, because those need to be preserved in the national record forever. And Ari and I will get into a few of them. There, there were very, very dangerous tweets where he spread misinformation, which is ultimately what led to him getting kicked off, which I support. And there were also some ones where he took some very, very incredible, he took incredible jabs at, at Democrats or, or fellow Republicans of his. And then there were ones that were just like 4.30 in the morning, where is the fake whistleblower, all caps, that he shot off. One of my favorite Trump tweets about Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, and he's pretty universally disliked in New York right now. Uh, many residents of New York, many of my friends are, are very unhappy with him. I guess he was contemplating running for president in 2020, and, and Trump tweeted this. The Dems are getting another beauty to join their group. Bill de Blasio of NYC, considered the worst mayor in the U.S., will supposedly be making an announcement for president today. He is a joke, all caps. And if you like high taxes and crime, he's your man, all caps. NYC hates him. Uh, that was one of my favorite Trump tweets. So I got a couple that I like, too. Back in the day, Trump used to not focus as much on uh, more political issues, and he used to really just spread the wealth all over. So I got one, at Miley Cyrus, don't worry about Liam. You can do much better and you have plenty of time. Remain strong, exclamation point. So he, he also had a couple tweets about um, Robert Pattinson and his relationship. He used to really get into the celebrity gossip a lot, which, I mean, would our country have been better off if he stuck to that? Who's to say? But he has some other one funny ones too. Obama's wind turbines kill between 13 and 39 million birds and bats every year. Save our bald eagles, symbol of our nation. He's just looking out for the birds. And then this is maybe my favorite, actually. It's, it's a tweet and then a, a response to the tweet. First tweet, I have never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. And then he tweeted again, the Coca-Cola company is not happy with me. That's okay. I'll still keep drinking that garbage. He actually <laughs> tweeted that. Trump had some very, very, I would, I would say to me, funny nicknames for many of the Democratic candidates. He referred to Mike Bloomberg as Mini Mike. He called Bernie Sanders Crazy Bernie, called Joe Biden Sleepy Joe. We've just never seen that in our country where just a candidate is just creates these nicknames for the other people. It, it's just, it's classic schoolyard bullying. There's a Wikipedia page that I've been trolling through for the last couple days where it chronicles every nickname he's ever given out. And it's worth a look. I would recommend that to anybody who 
needs a good laugh. But yeah, definitely not great that we were we were doing that <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. Well, he's off Twitter. R.I.P. Um, only a couple weeks left in office, which I know many people are are happy about. So. All right. So to move on to a more serious yeah. subject, Ari and I both had the cilantro lime cauliflower rice, which is new to Chipotle. Neither one of us really particularly liked it. Garbage. It's an extra $2. So you're paying more for what I can only describe as much, much less. Ari, take me through your reaction to your first bites of the cilantro lime cauliflower rice. So go, talking about the price, I didn't even notice the price because I had a free entree from the Chipotle app because uh, I, I had reached my points goal. And I figured, why, I figured why not? I got a cilantro lime bowl with chicken, mild salsa, no dairy. It's not dairy December anymore, but I didn't get dairy anymore. Corn, lettuce, and veggies. I just didn't really like it. I like cilantro and I know some people can't stand it. And I know a lot of people, you know, it, it just rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But cilantro... Lime cauliflower was garbage. I just didn't think there was much texture to it. I thought it was a little heavy on the lime. I mean, you may as well try it, but it, I don't think I'll ever get it again. Yeah. So my my experience actually started off poorly and then only got worse. So I ordered over the Chipotle app too to go for like a little mobile pickup. So I get to the Chipotle, go check for the bag with my name on it. It's not there. I check on the app and it should have been created at that point. So I, I talked to the store employee um, and it turns out that somebody probably mistakenly took my bag. All I can say to that person is I'm sorry because you got the world's shittiest Chipotle bowl because it had cauliflower rice in it and that sucks. So, I mean, they're lost. But anyway, so the Chipotle employee remade my bowl. They were really nice. Got home, cracked open the bowl. Obviously, after a little bit of shaking, made sure to get everything mixed up. But yeah, at first I was like, where even is this crap? Because it's not like the rice. It's not like absorbent and fluffy. It's like kind of like a weird granular consistency, I guess is the best way to put it. And there's, there's no absorbing power to it. So there was some juices from the beans that had leaked down to the bottom and it was just sort of sloshing around. With the rice, it soaks it all up and it absorbs the flavor. The cilantro doesn't offer that. And yeah, the taste just wasn't wasn't there either. The consistency wasn't there. I cannot- I'm not, I'm not crazy against, against cauliflower anyway. I have, I have nothing against cauliflower. Like I, I like it, but I think it's a lot like broccoli. And frankly, and like you wouldn't have broccoli rice, you know? Like why did we choose cauliflower to be our rice substitute? Is it because it's just like white and looks kind of like rice if you chop it up really finely like i don't i don't really see why we chose that yeah i mean if anyone has another take or they thought it was really good let us know yeah i'll go to bat against cauliflower rice any day of the week though i mean i do you know what the really crappy part is so when i get chipotle I, I normally get enough to the point where i can stretch it out over two meals because i'm cheap like that and i still have the leftover bowl in my refrigerator right now like that's going to be my lunch in a few minutes and I couldn't be less excited. Like I'm actually feeling like d disappointed that I have to go through this pain once again. But I mean, after after I finish this bowl, that's it. Like the, the door is closing on cilantro cauliflower rice after this. We are an anti-COVID podcast and we are an anti-cilantro lime podcast. Pro Chipotle podcast, but Definitely. the beauty of Chipotle is you could you can mix and match every time. I'm just probably never going to eat the cilantro lime again. Yep. And uh, if, we're, if we're on the subject of Chipotle real quick, I will also say 
and this is maybe the hill that I will die on. I think that the chorizo was the best meat that they had, and they got rid of it. I liked I like the chorizo. Um, I'm glad they bought the brought the carne asada back, but I've just kind of been rocking with chicken lately. Yeah, I'll treat myself to the beef and the carne asada. I actually, absolutely, you have to treat yourself. What's the point of living if you're not going to treat yourself? Hundo P. But not treating myself to that cauliflower rice ever again. That's for sure. Well. Coming up, we have a really, really special interview with Jatim Young, who was a very accomplished player at Northwestern University. He was first team all Big Ten his senior year. He was the leader on that team and played overseas for for a number of different professional organizations for about a decade or so. And now he's doing a lot of really special things back here in Chicago, working with nonprofits. Really, really great guy. Really awesome interview. And we're, we're looking forward to bringing it to you. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's crazy how it all comes full circle. I met you, Tim, I want to say in like 2007, 2008, something like that. We, you know, we stayed friends on Facebook and I, I ran into him at a couple Northwestern games. I saw him again in February at the World's USA game Friday night. Yeah, sick brag. I was there. Um, and he's just, he's, he's a great guy and, and he's had a really, uh, really good career. A publication had as a top 10 Northwestern player all the time. Um, we played at the highest level, and uh, without further ado, I want to give it up for a good friend of mine, Jatim Young. All right, we now welcome on uh, a very special guest. He was my counselor at Northwestern Basketball Camp growing up. I want to say seventh grade we met, 2007, sounds right. Former Northwestern basketball player, professional basketball player, Jatim Young. Jatim, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's, it's crazy how it all goes full circle. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to be a man, to be a part of the show, man. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always, it's, it's always like the, the, the funniest to see, you know, guys that I was like their camp counselor in basketball camp. to just bump into them and see them as adults, man. It's, it's just, it's, it's hilarious to me, but it's so cool <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's it's even funnier when your your former uh, uh, campers invite you on their podcast. Am I am I the first <laughs> one to do that? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're definitely the first one uh, that that invited me on a podcast. Unreal, Jatim. Um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. We did a lot of Wikipedia research, been going mm-hmm. through uh, Northwestern statistical leaders and whatnot. Your name popped right. up quite a bit, so uh, it's definitely great to see you and hear from you. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm I'm happy about this. You know, this is, you know, with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world right now, the thing we can do is, you know, kind of watch sports, talk about sports and uh, take trips down memory lane. 100%. We're definitely going to be doing that. So yeah. I think a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with you. We're a little bit of a younger demographic. So for, uh, for those of us who aren't as familiar, do you mind introducing yourself? I guess taking us through kind of where, where you've come from, where you've been and what you're doing now? At a high level? Yeah, so, yeah no, I'm, I'm from Chicago. I grew up on the west side of Chicago. Grew up in a stop playing basketball, you know, young, like maybe four years old. When I was in third grade, I was already playing on the eighth grade team. And I was starting by fourth grade on the eighth grade team in the inner city of Chicago. The Red West Conference is um, a high school basketball conference. It's one of the best in the, in the entire world. And the, the, the kids that I was playing against, even as a fourth grader through fourth through eighth grade, those were the kids that were making up the Western House teams and the, the Marshalls and the Farragut's of the past and everything that were, that were really good and really elite. 
when I graduated out of eighth grade, I ended up going to an all-boy Catholic school up north called Gordon Tech High School. And it's now uh, called uh, DePaul College Prep now. So Gordon, DePaul University bought Gordon Tech and then changed the name. And uh, But they're still in Rams. So I, I always still, I cheer up uh, for them, go Rams. Being weird, weird to call them the DePaul, the Gordon Tech or the DePaul Prep Blue Demons. I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's a Catholic I didn't school. Know. I didn't know colleges could buy high schools. Yeah, they can. They they could definitely do that. It's a um, it's a couple uh, schools, uh, high schools now that are funded through universities. University of Chicago, they got lab. Oh you yeah, know? So that's a, yeah, that's a like another example of a a university with like kind of a high school program within within their university. But yeah, I was an All-American in high school. Um, I had offers from Kansas, Michigan State, Wisconsin. It was, hold on, Michigan State, Kansas, Wisconsin, Indiana. This one, Bob Knight was at Indiana and uh, Purdue. Those are like my, and then Northwestern, those were like my uh, last few choices that I had. It came down to Northwestern, Kansas, and Michigan State and Wisconsin. And then I chose Northwestern. And I ended up going to Northwestern, having a, a male athlete of the year, first team all Big Ten, uh, led the team to uh, eight and eight, all conference, all tournament, all that cool stuff I got to do at Northwestern. And then went on, played uh, professional basketball uh, for about 10 years, got to represent the country playing with the USA team. I was the MVP for the uh, world three on three national team. And this summer, uh, three on three is now Olympic sport. So a lot of the groundwork that I was able to lay as one of the best three on three players in the world uh, to see the guys who will be representing the United States of America in three on three basketball and to be able to win the Olympic gold medal is uh, something that I'll be extremely proud of. Yeah, that's, that's quite the career. That's yeah, that's quite the career. And touching back a little on when you were deciding college, Northwestern is an amazing school for for academics, and it's it's pretty good for sports. But some of those schools for basketball, like you know Michigan State and Kansas, are top tier schools. How much? of that factored into your decision or were you thinking more along the lines of I want to go get a good education and then at the same time I could probably be the best player at Northwestern versus like I have to compete with the incoming freshman every year who might be better than me yeah I, you know the funny thing is that never crossed my mind I, I felt like at 16 17 I felt I was a pro already so I never worried about competition because I always pretty much played the best competition my entire life like when I was eight I was competing with 15 year olds so I never really felt like I was worried about anybody and every time I was going to like the national camps well whether it was Nike camps see this is before AAU really blew up people was going to camps I was the MVP in the all-star game and I was like you know first team at Nike or first team at five-star defensive player of the year so I was always recognized as one of the, the elite players. When Kevin O'Neill recruited me, and I never got to play for the guy that brought me to Northwestern because he took a job with the New York Knicks. It was something that I never had help make. It was a decision I never had help. I didn't grow up with my father or my mom. I was living with my grandmother. So I remember telling my grandmother, I said, I, was, I think I was a junior. I was a sophomore, a junior. I was at the camp. My grandmother used to know I was always gone every summer, but she she knew I could play basketball, but I didn't know. I don't think she knew how good I was. So I remember one, I, I came back. I think I was like 16 and I came back home from a camp and I was like, hey, grandma, you know, they said that I can go to college for free to play basketball. She was like, don't believe that. You just keep uh, getting good grades. And that's how you'll go to college, because my plan was to go to a junior college. And then from a junior college, maybe I'll, you know, 
play college ball. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll, you know, start working at the post office or something because, you know, no one really in my family had ever been in a situation. So they didn't know what type of advice to give me. No one knew. So, you know, when uh, all these schools start calling, calling my home, my grandmother was like, oh, so you really can go to school for this. I said, I told you. But it was just like talking. So she said, well, why don't you go to Northwestern? Because it's a it's, it's in Chicago and, and that's a good, a real good school. And I was like, OK, yeah, I might think about that. And then I, you know, end up choosing Northwestern. But like I never really had anybody like to sit down and explain to me like the knowledge I have now. Like if like my daughter who was just in here running around, if uh, if she gets to that position, I know what to say to her, but I didn't have those same thing. I'll buy you that, sweetheart. Go ahead. Go, go, go. Tell me, go in the room. Tell me what else you want me to buy. <laughs> That's inspiring. Though. I mean, I think you, you made a good choice, though, in retrospect, because hey, you get to be close to the family and be Northwestern, obviously, is just a phenomenal academic school. I saw that you graduated four years. So I think just from a lifelong perspective, I mean, basketball is going to last you for 10, 20 years, maybe if you're lucky, professionally right. at least. But you I mean, you have an education that can last you a lifetime. Yeah, that's how, you know, I, I, I looked at it like um, as I was kind of going through it, you know, it, it was frustrating being being in a, a school where it was the first time in my basketball life where all 12, 13 of the players on the team, basketball wasn't everything. So my entire life, the, all the guys I had played with or been on the court with, we all needed basketball. Like basketball was everything. We spent in you know, 10, 12 hours a day, even at Gordon Tech, like my teammates, we'll stay up after school to about six, seven, eight o'clock playing and then go home and do our homework or whatever. But when I got to Gordon Tech, it was the, I mean, when I got to Northwest, it was the first time where I was like, man, like you got a few people that love basketball, but a few people just talking about life after basketball. And I'm like, we are hoopers, like we, we athletes. So I think that was like the, the more, frustrating part of for uh, for me like when when I was kind of going through you know Northwestern and everything to know like even though it's a great thing to know that like the Northwestern alumni will always be supportive supportive of me and the decisions that I make and if I ever need help I can reach back but as a player and a competitor it was frustrating and I think you know like I was uh, saying about the, uh, my daughter her name is Amina if she's ever in that position that's something I will be able to explain to her that wasn't explained to me like I would say, if you want to be a doctor and you got a choice between Kentucky and Northwestern and you know for sure you want to go to medical school, maybe go to Northwestern. But if you passionate about being a professional athlete or whatever, and you got a choice between a Michigan State or, you know, a Harvard, but you want to hoop or something like that, this probably going to give you the exposure and put you in an environment and a surrounding that you need. That wasn't explained to me when I was coming up. I didn't understand that part of the politics that plays in the sports. Yeah, and, and but the thing about Northwestern, though, is for as good of a school as it is, it's in the Big Ten. So you're playing against some of the best teams in the country, and you're playing against some of the best players. And coming up in Chicago and in Northwestern, you hooped against several NBA guys, correct? Right. Yeah, I mean, just like in my neighborhood alone, this is the – I'm going to tell you guys, like, this is this was my neighborhood. These are the guys that well, when we went outside, you saw these guys outside. It was myself, Luther Head, Will Bynum, Tony Allen, D. Brown, Patrick Beverly, Sharon Collins, all in the same vicinity of each other. So, like, when we went outside and I went over there, like, 
I knew they were going to be there and I'll be, show up there and they were there and we all played against each other. And these just neighbors, like same community, you know what I mean? And then Cappy Pondex, they'll come and play with us sometimes, you know? So like, this was like just my neighborhood, you know, within an entire city of Chicago filled with a bunch of talent. And, and, you know, when we younger, we, we not thinking like these guys, like Tony Allen got a ring, Luther Head, Final Four and all these guys like that, you're not thinking like that. But it's pretty amazing to see when we were like 14, 15, 16 to fast forward to now, like how to how how all of our careers are not playing out. But to your point, yes, it would like all, I've always played against the best players. Always. Yeah, that must have been a little bit tough going up, honestly, with Northwestern at times, just with how I guess you had mentioned dedicated some of the guys were not to take anything yeah. away from teammates, but just. I think the tradition at Northwestern definitely isn't kind of a powerhouse like a Michigan State or an Indiana right. at the time. Like they were a team that were, I mean, 500 is a very good season for Northwestern. It was a very they, good season. they just made the tournament for the first time a few years ago. So mm-hmm. I can I can understand where you're coming from. At your time at Northwestern, though, you you dominated. You were a third team All Big Ten player, I think, in 2003. Then first team your senior year. I think uh, right. I, I was looking up an article that they actually best up Northwestern basketball players of all time. They had you in the top ten. So for, for where you were in college, you made the most of the situation, definitely, I would say. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I always felt like, you know, this is if I commit to something, I'm a, I'll see it through. Like if I if I give someone if I give someone my word, then I'm going to try to like live up to that and see it through. So I really like and then this during a time where people really, really didn't believe in transferring. Like I, I really wasn't like, you know, even though it, during that time it was rumors, it wasn't started by me. But it was rumors that uh, I, will, I, I would transfer after my freshman year. And I just remember having a meeting with the athletic director, the president, my coaches, the head of media, trying to convince me to stay and everything like that. But, I, I you know, I had never once said I was going to uh, transfer. I just was trying to figure out how can I be better. And I knew that the load and the responsibilities that I would have to carry. So I trained my body. I, you know, I just worked on my game. So when the season came... I knew how many loads and how many different um, responsibilities I would have on the court. And I tried to do just do my best to handle all those responsibilities. So I was looking at uh, some of the responsibilities that you had. I think you had a game with eight steals at one point. So you were a two-way player. You were doing everything yeah. out there. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was the first. I was, the, I was like the first quad Jimmy Butler before it was even fashionable. Because <laughs> I would have to guard the best player every night. No matter position, you know, I, I guard Devin Harris one night. Then I got to turn around and guard uh, Chris Humphrey, who plays the four, you know, the next night. And then I might, I might, it's times and games when I had to guard like a, a seven foot center, you know, because we didn't have guys that were tough enough to, to do that. And then come back down and guard the quickest point guard, you know, another night. So, and, and still had to go give you like 20 points a game or something like that on the offensive end. So, yeah, I was uh, definitely like, you know, having to play both of those ends every single night the whole season. You're like a point forward. Sorry, go hard. Yeah. I've seen Jatim put the clamps down before. He's he's gotten up in my grill guarding me one on one at Northwestern basketball camp when I was in seventh (laughs) grade. Didn't go well for me. So, I know you mentioned Devin Harris. And when I and I know you played against him when he was at Wisconsin and you were at Northwestern, but on your Wikipedia it said 
when you were doing workouts at the NBA Combine, you repeatedly shut down Devin Harris. Can you yeah. can you confirm that that's true? And yeah. Andre Iguodala. We you know we 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 you know we both we both were working out. You know to be honest, like when when I got on the court, I just looked at it as basketball and. No, I played it. You know, I had played Devin for three years uh, up up to that point, or two, because he left after his junior year. Uh, so I had played him uh, for for two years. No, three, because his freshman year he played. He played a lot of freshman year. So it, it really like with with us, it was just kind of confirming who really is the best player in the Big Ten. I mean, I always felt I was the best player in a in a conference. I, I never I never doubted like that I wasn't the best player in the Big Ten. Now, I, I felt Devin Harris did deserve Big Ten player of the year because Wisconsin was the better team. And he was the best player on the best team, you know, in a, in a conference that year, you know, between them, Michigan State. And during that time, Illinois was one of the, one of the elite teams. But Devin Harris was fantastic. But uh, I just felt like if I would have had the weapons that he had, like how, how, how different things could be. So when, whenever you go through like a, a NBA workouts, you, you, you are, you're playing against the, the better players. So whether it was – Devin Harris, or we we in open runs with uh, Jamal Crawford and Corey Maggette or Ben Gordon, I was just like, I'm the best player on this court. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not in the Princeton offense either. So I get to just do me. And it, it was, it, you know, it was just an opportunity where I just, I was just the, the better and the more dominant player in that workout, in those workouts, I should say. Yeah, that's the mentality. I mean, I'm not a professional athlete by any means here, but I feel like that's the attitude you got to have when you're going into those types of settings. Like you can't, you Just can't be thinking, line. I'm. Yeah, you can't be thinking you're the second best guy in the gym. You got to yeah. be thinking that you're the best. Right. So you worked out a little bit. I think I saw you were on the Suns summer league roster yeah. at one point. Yeah, we went to Vegas. Um, we went to Vegas for summer league uh, with Phoenix, and then I got a job over in Greece. So. I had ended up leaving Vegas and, and flew straight over to Greece. So I didn't even come back home to Chicago. And when um, I finished in Greece, I came back and then the Bulls offered me a, a it, it was, I, I signed the year salary. I signed the year contract. I, I, was, I signed like a rookie deal contract with Chicago. So I came in for summer league. I went to workouts and then I made the preseason team. And then at the end of the preseason team, I went to the G League. And then after the G League, um, I had ended up, I finished the season playing like in um, Belgium or, or, or it was some country I ended up playing in. But um, I just remember being in the minor leagues for uh, uh, that period of time. And I got called up to a, a workout with, with Cleveland. I was I, I went to a workout with the Cavs. This is when LeBron was there. And I was I was up there practicing with their team and working out with their team. I thought uh, Gibson had got hurt. So I thought they was going to bring me to let me like kind of back up whoever the point guard was going to be. But Gibson like ended up healing. So I ended up going right back to the finishing out the uh, minor league season in the CBA. And then I um, ended up going like to a, a country for like a few months before uh, the summer came. And then I got an opportunity to go and uh, play with Popovich and then be a, and just see how they handle business down in San Antonio, which was amazing. Like that, that San Antonio felt a lot like a college structure. Like that's the structure I probably should have went to college in because it's a lot of discipline, but they allow you to compete and play. You know what I mean? But it's 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 a it's kind of, it was kind of like Gordon Tech, like where it's a structured environment, but they bring out the best in you. And that's what like being in San Antonio for those for that entire summer, like I learned so much about basketball. 
let's stop on that for a second. I have always looked up to Greg Popovich, and when I was a kid, loved watching those Spurs teams win championships. What was he like? I guess, like, what was his philosophy as a coach? You'd mentioned he was kind of hands off, but what what kind of guidance would he give when he'd give it? Um, he just he just wanted everything done the right way. Like, if someone was open and you didn't, and you clearly looked up and saw that that person was open, and and you didn't give up the ball, like he he was just like one of those type of guys that just kind of in front of everybody. He wasn't pulling you to the side. He was like tell you in front of everybody, like how like this is stuff that like five-year-olds uh, learn when they're playing basketball. Like, why are you here? Who, who, who sent for you? Like, who's your, like, you know, he, he's one of those type of guys where he's really stern. Like, things matter. Like, the summer matters just as much as the preseason matter, just as much as the regular season matter. Just, and, and that's why those San Antonio teams during that time was so good because every second matters. Anytime you stepped on that court, every second mattered. It, it mattered. And... It, it, it was just you practice and play to be so perfect that you was able to reflect and think and watch and see how professionals really play professional basketball. So I learned so much about the, the, the art of basketball being in San Antonio. Yeah, those teams always made that extra pass when you'd watch them. And there was never never a point where that ball stopped moving. And that must have just come from the practices that he Yeah, it's so meticulous, very yeah, they're they're just so disciplined, and he just got the best out of everyone, no matter like it just seemed like if it didn't work out for whatever, you know, take one player and he's on a different team, and like everyone knows he's good, but for whatever reason it didn't work out, he comes to San Antonio and he just like finds himself, and, and he's yeah. done that with so many guys that like never should have been there. Like Manu Ginobili was the second to last pick in the draft. I don't think anyone had much expectation of him, but Popovich just gets the best out of everyone. Right. And so you are fortunate enough to just have basketball take you around the world. And you, you played a lot in Europe and some in Israel. Where were some of your favorite countries that, that you had a chance to live in? I would say Greece was probably my favorite. Living in Athens was beautiful. Athens was phenomenal. And it's like even now, like if I'm watching like uh, uh, 300 or I'm watching some Hercules or some type of Greek movie, I'm always trying to see, okay, that's the Parthenon. I know where that's at. I've been there and everything like that. But uh, Greece was Greece was like busy like New York, but beautiful like Miami Beach at the same time. So you kind of got like the best of both worlds. The food was great in Greece. Um, people spoke English. Uh, the, the Greek culture. Uh, it's it's a it's fascinating, you know. They they are really big on history and social studies and world history was like my favorite subject in school. So when I actually got to like Greece, I had studied and learned so much about it going in. And then I would say Israel was probably the other place that was my favorite, just because I come from a, a, a religious family, and you know you learn more about Israel than your own neighborhood when you grow up in a family that's always in church and all you hear about is. Israel and Bethlehem and all that. So then to go to Israel and then to play in Bethlehem and Jerusalem and all these different places uh, was pretty cool. Basketball in Greece is growing tremendously. Um, obviously, we all know who Giannis Antetokounmpo is, and and but it seems like there's a lot of good players coming out of there. While you were there, you know, in the mid 2000s, did you sense that the game was getting more popular? Yeah, because like. Um, I was playing against a lot of the Greek national team players. 
and they were good. And I mean, even the the year 2004, uh, when I went to Greece, it the Olympics were still going on. So Sean Marion was on. Sean Marion, Dwayne Wade was on the USA team. So oh, I was yeah, they were in yeah, they were in Greece, right? I was going to the games. I was going to the games and I was going to the parties. So like I and then like we and then when the season started, I turned around and I was in I ended up playing against all of those Greek national team players that were playing for Olympiakos or Panathinaikos. I was playing against those guys. When you were playing abroad, did they have the same rules that they do now where you can only have a couple American players, or was it a little bit more of a free market, I guess, with regards to where people came from? No, it was two American players on the team, um, and I think now it's opened up. I think now they they uh, a lot of countries they say you know unlimited. You know, I think I think if you can have as many, I think you have as many as five on the team, but only two can play on the court at the same time. Got it. So you were playing with mostly, well, I guess it wasn't be foreign-born players, but it'd be guys in their They're home country. country players, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and then it'll be me and another American on the same team. Gotcha. What was that like getting to know guys who grew up in a completely different country than you? Were they the ones showing you around the city and I guess like taking yeah. you to all these spots and everything? Yeah, it was. And it was a, it was a community. I mean, I think basketball itself is kind of a universal thing because we, we all have been a part of teams for so long. So you understand kind of the culture and just kind of the, the rules of a, having a teammate. It's like an unwritten rule that you, it's just embedded in your DNA. So it didn't matter if I was over here or if I, you know, was over there in, um, in Greece, like those rules, those unwritten rules are still the same. You know what I mean? It's, it's just the culture of like what teams do um, as basketball players. So I would, you know, hang out with my teammates. We'll go different places together. But then, like the Americans that was over there on other teams, because it was only it was so few of us, we kind of built like a family because we're not going home for Christmas. We're not going home for Thanksgiving. We're together for New Year's. You know what I mean? So a lot of times we would spend Thanksgiving together, and we would spend the the different holidays and stuff together because you know we were home away from home. So we kind of built our own kind of family uh, within within each country. I just want to rewind real quick. And you talked about how you were partying with the USA Olympic yeah. team. You wanna, <laughs> do you care to elaborate on that? Yeah, no, it was, it was great. You're, you're, you're in these other countries and it's real similar to like when we play in the San Juan shootout or you, you playing in the Maui Invitational. You just like in, a, in another land, they know you're there. They know who you are. So you... I'm walking up to a to a line, and I'm thinking like I'm gonna have to wait in this long line. And I go to the security guard, and I was like, uh, "How you doing? I'm Jatim Young. I play." They like, "Hum, we know who you are. Come on in." And you're <laughs> like, "Wow, that was easy, like that." So, you know, it was it, it was cool, man. You know, just great times, and you know, people were you know people were pretty nice for the most part. It was, and I think people were nice because we respected their culture. We didn't try to come across like, yeah, we we from America, so y'all better. No, it was like, man, we having fun, man. Let's just let's just have let's have a good time and turn up, man. Enjoy enjoy this experience. Did that uh, Olympic team go a little bit too hard? Because they didn't they get the bronze medal in 04? They got the bronze, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was kind of a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, they got the bronze. They, I, I think uh, I think Ginobili and those guys won the gold medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was like Luis Ginobili from Argentina. Right. Yeah, they won. Were you out too late with them, Jatim? 
the uh, the U.S. guys? No, we hey, whenever they practice was and whenever my practice was, we made it. To, we made it on time to the weight room. I know I showed up on time, ready to lift. I might have been. I might have had. Actually, I might have had extra energy during that time. And, and I'm like 22, 23 at the time. So you know, you could run and play forever. And, and that's and that's your job. You know, it's, it's not like you got to go to class and listen to Russian literature for 42 hours before you get on the court. All you're doing is playing basketball. So it's just everything was just muscle memory. I feel that. So that's actually funny that you bring that up. So I have a I have a buddy who also played um, professionally in Europe. And some of the stories that he told was that some of these foreign born players, like especially I think Spanish guys, they'd be out until like four in the morning and then they'd be showing up to practices at 9 a.m. Was that yeah. what you were seeing, too? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what that's what you that's what you did. You know I mean, it's it's easy. Because like if 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 really all you have to do is really play basketball, you know what I mean? Like you could take a nap whenever you that means out of a twenty-four hour day, you're working three to four hours at best. So it's twenty-four hours a day, you're working for four hours, and they're paying you a lot of money to work for four hours. That's pretty much like what, what we were doing. So like the other twenty hours is just kind of what you want to do with your time. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you played in the mid two thousands, kind of a time before you know Instagram and Twitter, right. and it was now it's just it's so hard for some of these players to go out, especially on like a night before a game, because someone could see them take a picture and be like, oh, you know, you just saw it with yeah. James Harden, like you know they're yeah. out at a strip club or something at three in the morning and they have a game the next day, and. Right. Uh, you obviously worked hard, but it was a little easier to get away with things back oh, in the day. Absolutely. Always. That's why I always tell people, like, if Instagram was out, like, how heavy it is now, like, social media, oh, my God. First of all, the followers probably be at, like, three million or something like that right now. Just the, the way you would have to move would definitely have to be different because, like, you know, these guys, like you said, like James Harden, well, it got fined, like, $500,000 because of someone's phone somebody took a picture with their phone and said see i was with harden or like lou williams you know what i mean like you lemon pepper lou he was he was just picking up food though yeah well he was picking he was picking he was picking up more than some wings and some legs he's picking up a lot of wings and legs but you'd also you'd also have the advantage of of tinder and hinge now though so you just stay in the hotel room (laughs) true you you could do that you know what I mean? You you definitely could, but like usually with me, my rule was a night before a game, like right after practice, I, I'm a like go grab some pasta or something, and, and I'm I'm just you know staying in my uh you know my whether I had a house or a condo, I'm just staying there, you know if I'm not watching like the film of the team we playing against or watching a film of, of something that I did last game that I want to do better the next game, I'm playing video games and stuff like that, so. You know, it was just certain. It was just certain rules. Me personally, I had you know the day before a game, and that's just because of how basketball was always structured with me. You know, going through um, you know being at Gordon Tech, and then you know in college, you just kind of like the night before a game, you want to you don't want to put yourself in a position, especially knowing that if I'm out of whack, we got zero chance of winning. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? So at least if I'm good and focused and ready. We got a slight chance to win. It's a, it's a possibility. But if I'm out and everything and I'm showing up to the game and I'm, I got to take, you know, 25 shots to get 18 points, 
you know, we, we have no chance to win. So being just so efficient and um, playing in a Princeton offense in college, you know, I probably was, I probably, if, if someone did how many shots per game I took in each year, I think the max number I would have probably took is like 11 or 12. So I was getting, my numbers just taking 12 shots a game on average, maybe less than that. You know what I mean? I haven't did, I, I haven't looked at the statistics of like how many shots I took per game, but it wasn't a lot. I didn't take many shots because of like the system that I played in. Your true shooting numbers were good. I was looking at the advanced metrics. You're an official yeah. player for sure. Yeah. I think that's a good rule to have though, is just the night before a game, like maybe take it easy. No, definitely. But then, but after, after that horn go off, one quarter, <laughs> zero, zero, zero on the clock. Oh, we out here. <laughs> so you played in in Europe for about ten years or so. Yeah, like like yeah, ab- yeah, about about ten, like somewhere around. Uh, yeah. And then was it after that that you really got into three on three basketball? Because that's a it that's was, a big part of it. It was actually during my last couple years in Israel, and then it just kind of carried over, you know, in, into that. And um, you know, we started going to Russia and. You know, all these different countries playing and, um, you know, Puerto Rico. And, you know, it was it it was I didn't know how big three on three basketball was when I went to Colorado Springs to play. You know, I'm just looking at it like, oh, we just out here hooping. And I ended up getting the MVP at the USA uh, basketball facility. I I was the best player out there. And then uh, my team ended up winning. Arnie Duncan. Uh, shout out, shout out to the, the sec the secretary, the, the secretary of education. But uh, he was out there. He was on my team, and we ended up beating everybody. And I remember hitting a game winning free throw to um, to win a championship. Got we got our gold medals, and they was like they were like, all right, boys, uh, in uh, in four weeks, pack up. You guys, uh, we shipping you overseas. I was like, what? And that's what it was. I was just thinking like, man, we just playing. Like you got a little uh, a free trip to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Get to look at the army bases and the uh, the garden of the gods and all that stuff like that out there. And Colorado Springs is a real beautiful city. I've been to Denver a few times, but like that that was like dope. But you know, I ended up being a part of the USA basketball family from that. Arnie Duncan could hoop, can he? Yeah, he can ball. He he like the Tom Brady of, of basketball. That guy still he's still doing it. He's still doing it. Could pass, could shoot. He's nice. For the listeners who don't know, Arnie Duncan was the Secretary of Education for I think like about seven or eight years under Obama. Yeah, the old, the old Obama term. Yeah, I I was looking at your Wikipedia page and I saw he was linked, and it was Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan. And I was like, is that like a, a nickname? Like the Admiral is David Robinson? And then I clicked on it, and he was yeah. like, legitimately the Secretary of Education, which is crazy. Yeah, we'll call him <laughs> yeah, but he was yeah. That was the, that was Arnie. Arnie was super. He's super cool. Like he's super cool. Like the coolest guy ever. I I personally I end up meeting Arnie because what a lot of people don't know when I was playing at Northwestern, Coach Robinson was my coach. Coach Robinson is the big brother of Michelle Obama. That's her. That's her older brother. So they were coming to the games when he was. I think he was just a senator or something like that. And she was a lawyer. Because I remember I used to talk to them after the game. And I was like, man, you look like a girl, Coach Robinson. You look just like your brother. And she used to laugh, like, oh, you're so silly like that. But Arnie Duncan used to come work out with us when I was in college. I think he was the um, CEO of the uh, Chicago Public Schools during this time. So it's like early 2000, like 2000, 2001. 
Ernie Duncan used to come up to Evanston and play pickup with us every day in the summer. So I had met him when I was a freshman at, at Northwestern and then ended up being my teammate for the USA team all those years later. So were you in Colorado Springs with Arnie as a or as a Chicago team? How did you guys get linked up to play together? Yeah, it was uh we we were we were like a Chicago team. So it was like me, Arnie Duncan, Craig Robinson, and I mean not Craig Robinson, Craig Moore, that also played at Northwestern was a shooter. He was with us, and then we had like a a, a big kid that played at uh played at Princeton, and uh, we were just it was just us four on the team, and the competition was pretty good, but uh just in those elimination rounds. You know, I just kind of blacked out and went to a different level and, uh, you know, led, led our team to victory. So I think three on three is definitely a, a different different game than five on five. But after watching a little bit of tape on you, I feel like that definitely fits your style of play because you, you know how to move in the paint. And if there's not a bunch right. of bodies down there, you can definitely get a bucket. Yeah, it's open. Any, if, if you give me anything open court, you know, in an open where I could just attack, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem. And then if, if if my shot falling like it was doing those uh, run like my 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 tray was falling I was like oh okay like y'all gonna have a long night I'm going for forty every game but the game is so fast it's just it's fast 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 it's, it's no breaks so it's 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 a different the the, the way they play the international is just a different a different style where like if somebody score you got to take the ball from underneath the rim and play right away. It's not check it up at the top. It's as soon as the ball going to the basket, you pass it out to your teammate and and score. You know what I mean? So it's no resets. It's just continual motion. And and there's only 14 seconds on the shot clock. Jatim, when I was at Northwestern basketball camp, I remember a big part of the camp was three on three. And it was a big part of like Northwestern system where you guys would compete three-on-threes in practice. We had a big three-on-three tournament. Is that kind of where you got into three-on-three, or did it more so come after you were done at Northwestern? Actually, I got into three-on-three when I was um, like 16, 15, 16. You know, we we always grew up playing two-on-two, three-on-threes, and one-on-ones. But when I was 16, I played in something called Shoot the Bull. It was um, myself, uh, Luther Head, and um, it was uh, another guy from my neighborhood that uh, we just kind of put a, a team together. Some, uh, you know, a lady, uh, Ms. Rita, she took us downtown Chicago. We played in the Shoot the Bull tournament three on three, and we won the whole thing. We got like the first place for it. And so that was my first time really competing in a national three on three tournament. So for those of you who don't know, Shoot the Bull used to be this big event they used to have. It was a three on three tournament, and they had different age levels. And so myself and Luther Head, we were on the same team and we ended up winning it like I was 16 going on 17. So it was like the summer of my junior year and the summer of my senior year going into my freshman year in college. Um, we won we won the championship two years in a row. So that was the first that was really the first experience I had with it. But then I didn't really do it again. I, like you said, until we got to Northwestern and we were doing it in practice all the time, always playing three on three because. To understand the Princeton offense, you have to understand how to play three on three. And if you don't understand how to play three on three, the Princeton offense is going to be so complicated. So those experiences kind of propelled me to be one of the best three on three players in the world playing for Team USA when I got the opportunity to represent the country, you know, a few years ago. So you were able to go to Moscow um, for the world championships with that. 
what was that like going up against guys? Because is three on three bigger in other countries than it is in the states? Yeah, it's way bigger in other countries. Way bigger. I remember seeing some spot on like ESPN on a Saturday morning or something. It was some Serbian team or something like that. One of the one of the Eastern Bloc countries, and it was like yeah. a big thing that these guys were doing, and they were like one of the best teams in the world. But yeah, it's a completely different sport. And I mean, if you're growing up playing that and putting more emphasis on it, definitely would be a. I mean, I didn't know soccer was that big until I went over there. Did you ever play? I mean, we played around in gym class and stuff like that. But you know, soccer come on TV, you'd be like, man, I'm enough to go outside and play. Over there. A soccer game, come on, nobody going outside and try to turn the TV and watch something else. You might get your arm cut off. Like, <laughs> soccer is that big in Europe. Um, isn't also, I mean, you've been to Russia and you played ball there, I guess, but isn't women's basketball really big in Russia? Women's basketball is huge in Russia. Like, yeah, Russia, basketball in Russia, period, is big. Like, you got Moscow, you got Kemke. So all of, all of those different teams were like, you know, really big, but like women's basketball was extremely big in Russia. So I just, I just texted my dad a picture of us. And I said, doing a great interview with Tim Young right now. And he said, the pride and joy of Gordon Tech. Uh, <laughs> and he wanted me to, he wanted me to ask you about um, their current coach, uh, Tom, or for Gordon Tech, Tom Played at yeah. DePaul, was a McDonald's All-American oh, game. Yeah. And his dad used to ref my high school games. That's my dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Kleinschmidt's dad was a, is a legendary ref, you know, especially in the north side area, which is why Tom, he I think he got into the game and became as good as he did. But, um, you know, Gordon Tech is one of the one of the best teams in the, in the state. So Tom was phenomenal. A lot of people – like, people say, like, he's the best player because he took Gordon Tech to the state championship. They end up losing a, a king. But, um, you know, people that watch us play, that, that follow Gordon Tech was like, I was more explosive and athletic than Tommy was. But Tommy could shoot, like, way better. Tommy could pull from – he was doing, like, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry shooting back in, in the early 90s. But, yeah, Tommy is uh, definitely one of the legends of Chicago basketball. You, I, I was, I was watching some of your tape. I feel like you were a more athletic Kyle Lowry. Is that, is that yeah. accurate? Would you, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was like a, yeah, I, I, I could see that because Kyle Lowry's got that real bulldogish, tough, like playground style game. Yeah, so I could see that. Yeah, like I mean, even like when I watch Westbrook play, because I like, I like the rebound a lot. I could see like a lot of stuff that Westbrook does. And like when I used to watch like D Rose and how well before he got hurt, just how really explosive he was and how he could just kind of just take over a game. I, I look at, I could see all three of those guys. If I like try to describe the way I played the people, I'll just be like, I was just one of those combo guards who love to play defense, love to rebound, but just very, very athletic. And I could finish with my left and my right hand with equal ability. So I could go left, go right. So it was hard to – you couldn't say shade in one way because if you shade me left, I'm going to just go hard left, make make a move to get you off balance and shoot a float or a layup or a dunk. And you can dunk. Left at the rim. I'm dunking everything. It don't matter who that. I'm So either you post or I'm getting fouled. Pick your poison. You know, so that's how it was. I just remembered when – when we were at camp when I was younger and I was like telling you, I was like, I want to like, you know, eventually be dunking the ball like a lot. 
and you were like describing to me like what it's like to dunk. You're like, man, you're like one day you're going to see your teammate shoot it and the ball's going to be a little off and you're going to know it and you're going to run up and grab it off the rim and dunk all over everyone. That never happened for me, but I'm assuming it happened for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go get it, man. Yeah. Like, like when I first started dunking, I was in eighth grade and I was like, I want to do this every time. So I made sure that. So I think we'd be remiss not to bring this up. You said you met Obama? Yeah. When I when I was um, at Northwestern, I met Obama. That's unreal. Yeah, no, he was he was a cool dude, just laid back and chill. But I didn't know I was meeting a president. Yeah. I was just like this uh, Coach Robinson brother in law. Didn't he end up coaching Oregon State after? Yeah, he he yeah, Coach Rob, he coached Oregon State and Brown and now he with the Knicks. He um he's like head of some operations for for the New York Knicks now. Did you ever play basketball with Barack? Because he, he loves to hoop too. He never played with us. He never came up and played with us. He was the only one like like I know he, he liked basketball, but he used to come watch. He used to come to a lot of our games, but he never he never played, like he never came to play pickup with us or anything like that. So but Ernie Duncan did. He, I mean, not, yeah, Ernie Duncan. He came to uh, play pickup, and obviously, Coach Robinson was our coach. Coach was hooping every time. So you also mentioned you had played with Jerron Collins. Jerron was literally, he was literally like the best point guard in Chicago. I was like, you know, people used to talk about Isaiah Thomas a lot, but when Sharon Collins, before he went to Kansas, Sharon was like the best player, uh, the best point guard I had seen in a long time. It's just he he could run a point, but he was extremely flashy too. So like he can he could make everybody better around him, but he just understood how to be a point guard. And it was it was amazing seeing Sharon Collins play. It, it was amazing. So when he went to uh Kansas and he led them to like the championship and everything that he was doing at at Kansas, I was just like. I used to see this every day with this kid, you know, going when he was in high school and he was training and working out with us and everything. And we were on the playground or something in tournaments. I was like, this is what this kid does. I totally misspoke there. I was thinking Jerron Collins. Yeah. Jerron yeah, from Kansas, Kansas University. No, so, I, I remember Sharon Collins, though, and he was he was phenomenal high school player and a great college player. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. He was on the Charlotte Bobcats at the time, yeah. and he was uh, he was sent to their D-League team, which was like the main Red Claws, and they, then they called him back, and didn't he like miss a flight back to yeah, Charlotte, he, uh, and then he got caught, and that was the end of his NBA career? Yeah, he, um, you know, uh, had some miscommunications with, you know, and that's the thing about professional sports. That's why I was saying I'm so glad I got to go to San Antonio. Because professional sports is nothing like high school or college. Like the okay, so like in high school, if you if you late for your bus, the coach not, either not gonna start you, or the next day in practice you are gonna run for forty hours, and that's your punishment. You know what I mean? That's just like what what it is in college. If you late to a game, pretty much the same thing. Even if you start, you gonna run. Like you gonna you gonna you gonna get it back for being late or missing a bus or something like that. But at the professional level, you know, especially if you're not like a lottery type of player, if you miss a bus or flight or something or you didn't communicate effectively to make sure whatever information you needed was presented to you so you know exactly what to do and you don't do it, that unprofessionalism can like rub people the wrong way as if you don't care. I know Sharon cared about basketball. It just, you know, that's just how the business is. So 
post basketball, I know we're coming up on an hour here. So you, you retired and you went on to have a, you're doing a lot of different things right now. You were on WGN radio. I remember seeing you on TV. You did a, some of the color commentating uh, for yeah. the Northwestern games and you have a podcast of your own now. You want to tell some of the viewers kind of what you're doing now and you know what projects you got going on? Yeah. Uh, so um, I started a, my nonprofit foundation, uh, First Team Extreme Effort, and basically, uh, you, you know, just, you know, trying to be a mentor and trying to, you know, help kids, you know, boys, girls who, you know, dream of one day pursuing the things that I got the opportunity to pursue, you know, whether it's me uh, training, working out, you know, doing mentoring and community outreach uh, in a community at the schools, you know, I'm doing that. Uh, Let's talk about it. Shy is on iHeartRadio. That's the podcast. And we talk sports relationships. We get to talk about like a variety of different topics, which is cool. Uh, we talk with music. I love music, by the way. So like to, to, to have an outlet and, and, and have people around that are knowledgeable and well-versed in Bears football or, you know, you know, with me talking basketball or like different relationship advice or situations to just have fun conversations. It's uh it's really cool, and then um I got a a clothing line. It's a uh, realroyalties.com. So it's like r e a l r o y a l t e e s dot com. So realroyalties.com, and got some cool shirts. Let's talk about it and everything like that. So uh just um that kind of that entrepreneurial mindset right now, and you know being back in school, I'm pursuing a master's degree in social work, and I think. Social work is, is social workers are extremely important. You know, mental health is real and a lot of people don't handle pressure as well as, you know, maybe athletes do or people that's in pressure situations. And even for athletes, they feel the anxiety and the pressures that it could, it could get to them. So I just feel with the direction that my life is heading into. And as I think about, you know, how I'm branding my, you know, kind of this the new version of me and and this new life that I'm embarking in this new journey. I think social working and getting that credibility and that, that knowledge and that education um, is going to really uh, benefit me well in the future. You're really giving back in a lot of different ways, I think, with uh, like the radio show, sharing advice. Obviously, the social work is fantastic. So that's really cool that you're able to kind of give back to others what you've been able to learn along your journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I just, you know, every time I'm in a community and, and everything, like I still you know, go back on the west side of Chicago, uh, help out, uh, work at a local Jesuit school uh, within, the, w- within the community. And I see all this potential and talent there. And I'm like, I was you, you know, 25 plus years ago. I was you. Like the, the curiosity and the, the excitement of the unknown and kind of the can I or can I not, you know, I, I was worried about going to Gordon Tech. I didn't know. I didn't know like my Chicago public school education would get me to Gordon Tech and I ended up graduating one of the top 10 students in my entire class. I, I, I graduated like a 3.9 GPA. I didn't know I could do it though until I did it. So it just kind of like, you know, bringing, building that like confidence and autonomy within, you know, that core cohort of people um, within and, and kids within that community as well as helping them work on their game and, and, and help them become better basketball players and better athletes. What kind of advice do you, do you give to the kids that you're working with? Is it just kind of giving them like advice, something to strive for? I guess what, what what's your messaging like 
my message is really just like follow your passion and if you like to do something allow it to open doors for you no everybody won't make it to the nba everybody won't make it to the nfl but everybody can go to college you know everybody can you know pursue a business or or create opportunities or learn lessons being a part of a team everybody can do that so just bringing that type of lesson to them to understand that it's it's not like if you don't make it to the NBA or if you if you if you don't make it to college to play football, you know, in a Big Ten, that's a it's a failure. No, you learned how to be a part of a team. So when you have to work with people, you understand how to do that. I want to thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. It's really great to see that we're, we're still staying in touch after all these years. I'm really glad I ran into you and we were able to reconnect. Um, you're a great dude. You're an inspiration. Thank you so much for coming on the Legends podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. You guys are awesome. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, appreciate it, Tim. It was great meeting you. Everyone, go check out uh, Let's Talk About It, Shy. I was listening to it earlier. It's a, it's a great program. Yeah. Thank you, Daddy. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we crazy on that. Uh, and, and I'm probably the craziest one. I'm like the funny one. On <laughs> I love it. Well, you're the funny one on this podcast, too. So thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, boys.